Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Arise Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're here with us today. We're going to open the service this morning in a word of prayer and ask God to bless this day. We're so thankful that Jesus saves, and He saves because He's alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's open in prayer this morning, and then after I pray, you all stand with me as we'll sing a couple of songs together. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we have a reason to meet today. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ. God in human flesh came to this earth, was born in a simple manger. He grew up, lived a perfect life, and he died. He was crucified. He died and took the sins of all the world. He died in our place. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that we have through Christ. We thank you that we can celebrate our risen Lord today. I pray that you would bless this service now. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to just give a brief thank you to all that put so much work into today. Let's thank those who did the breakfast this morning. That was a blessing. So thankful for them. And I noticed a few things around here. Brother Josh built us a new cross. Isn't that beautiful? We're thankful for that. Sister Rose made the flowers for us and many others cleaned and prepared and passed out invitations and prayed and, and uh, did all kinds of things. There's a whole... Another big thing going down there with the children right now, I saw they're making crafts and stuff, so I'm sorry. I don't have any crafts for you this morning, but uh, we'll have a good time just the same. Thank you for being here with us today. It means a lot to us that you would join us on this special day. And really, we come together today. This isn't about just recognizing people or just having a good time or even just dressing up in our new clothes. My wife bought me a new shirt and new tie, so I wore it today. Even though those are all wonderful things, we come today for something far more important than that. We're here today because Jesus is alive. Amen? And I'm so thankful that He is. You know, Jesus is the most significant person that ever walked on the face of the earth because he was much more than just a man. He was God in human flesh. And the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is the most significant event that ever took place in all of history. You see, there have been lots of people that have died. And in fact, in the video we saw just a few minutes ago, we saw at least one man who was brought back to life. But there has never been before, and there never will be again, someone who died, allowed others to put him to death, and then brought himself back to life. Because it was only Jesus that could do that. Because Jesus is God, and because Jesus was sinless. You see, when Jesus died, he didn't have to die for his own sin. The Bible tells us that we all deserve death because of our sin. The Bible's very clear on that. Romans 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. It's very simple. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've been studying on Sunday mornings now for about a year in the book of John. And I wanted, want you to take your Bible this morning if you have it. Turn to John chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we'll have the scripture for you up here on the screen where you can follow along there. But turn to John chapter 19 this morning if you have your Bible with you because I want us to read from the scripture and then look at some things this morning about the resurrection. The title of the videos that we watched were called Because 
he lives. Probably many of you know the song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. But the truth is, because he lives, changes everything about our lives. It changes everything about history, because he lives. So this morning, I want you to think with me. I want you to follow along and and really engage your mind this morning, because we're going to be looking at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if it truly is the most significant event in human history, then it's important that we study it, right? And if we study it, it's important that we learn from it and that we allow it to change our lives. You know, all of us gathered here today, I would guess most of you would say, do you believe that Jesus is alive? You would say, yes. And yet we, believe, we live in a world today where many people would say, I'm not sure. I don't know if we can really say, well, that's what your religion says, but I don't know if that's really true. Often we live today where people try to separate science and religion. They try to separate the spiritual things from the physical things, and yet God's Word speaks about all of those things. So as we look at God's Word this morning, we're going to look at a little bit of science We're going to understand the spiritual nature of Christ's death, but also the physical nature of His death. Because Jesus didn't just die spiritually, He he died physically, really is how He died. See, all of us are going to spend eternity spiritually somewhere. And so as we look at God's Word this morning, pay attention and I'll help you as we read it together. Beginning in John 19, verse 38, so Jesus has just been crucified And the Bible says in verse 38, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Joseph of Arimathea. But we do know from this verse that he was a follower of Christ. He was a disciple of Jesus. But there's something significant about the way he followed Jesus. The Bible says he was a secret disciple. Why was he a secret disciple? Well, again, this verse tells us he was a secret disciple because he was afraid of the Jews. Now, the Jews that they're referring to here were the Jewish religious leaders who wanted everybody to follow them. And so they looked at Jesus as a threat to their power. And so this man, Joseph of Arimathea, was a secret disciple. Let's keep reading. We'll learn a little bit more about Joseph. Verse 39, And there came also Nicodemus, here's the second man we read about, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Now I think this is kind of neat. I really didn't plan this out, but just how timing works, how God puts things together. A year ago on Easter Sunday, we were in John chapter 3. And if you know what John chapter 3 talks about, it tells the story of this man Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. You see, Nicodemus, he was one of those religious leaders. He was a Jewish man trained in the religion of the day, and he was one of the top inner circle group of men that was in charge of the church 
there, or not really the church. They weren't the church in that sense, but he was the leader of their religion. But see, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and he had some questions for Jesus. And we won't go through the whole story, but if you go back and read in John chapter 3, you can read it for yourself. Where Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he asked questions of Jesus. He, he knew that Jesus was a great teacher, but Jesus told him something very important. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus looked at Jesus kind of funny and he said, how, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter in again into his mother's womb? I know my mom's thankful that I can't do that again, right? I've outgrown her, right? And Nicodemus is thinking, how is this possible? And Jesus says, you must be born of water, right? That's the physical birth, but you also must be born of the Spirit. That's the spiritual birth. That's the new birth. And Jesus tells Nicodemus this, and then we get to that great verse in John 3, verse 16. If you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus that night in verse 39 of John chapter 19, and he comes back and he brings with him aloes and myrrh, about a hundred pound weight. So he's bringing all of the things that they're going to use to embalm the body of Jesus. This would have been very typical in the burial practice of the day when somebody had died. They would wrap their body in grave clothes and they would pack it with spices and other things to embalm the body. So we have Joseph of Arimathea, we have Nicodemus, and they come, to come and they take the body of Jesus. Verse number 40, Then took they the body of Jesus, wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. We don't know exactly where all this laid out. We, if you go over there today, you can see what they would call the garden there close to where they believed Jesus was crucified. But it says, And in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. See, this was the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea had purchased for himself. But rather than put his own body in that tomb, he took the body of Jesus Christ and placed it in this tomb. There they laid Jesus. Therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. I want you to understand, first of all, before we get to the resurrection, it's very important for us to understand that Jesus died. That Jesus died. You say, well, of course He died. Well, you know, there are some people that don't believe that He did. Here's some wonderful ways that we know, without a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus died died. You know, they arrested Jesus. They arrested Him. And when they came to arrest Him, the Bible says, if you go back just a few verses in John chapter 19, that they brought an entire band of soldiers. You know how many soldiers were in a band? About 600. This was a major military operation. They brought 600 soldiers plus the, the, the leaders from the high priests and all, some of their servants came down to arrest Jesus. I don't know. Maybe that's more people than they sent to arrest El Chapo. I don't know. 
600 is a lot, though. 600 soldiers to arrest Jesus. Jesus wasn't carrying any weapons. Jesus didn't fight back. Jesus went with them. This was not something that happened and nobody knew about it. He was arrested. Then they brought him to court. They tried him. We looked at that last week where they brought him before Pilate and he stood trial. And Pilate over and over questioned him. And Pilate said, this man, I find no fault in him at all. But then he turns around and says, crucify him. Pilate was more interested in doing what the crowd wanted him to do. Seven different times, Pilate says, this man's innocent. And then he crucifies him anyway. After he was tried, then they beat him. They car- and then he had to carry his cross to the place of salvation. The place where he was crucified, I'm sorry. And as he carried his cross, the Bible tells us he fell with the weight of the cross on his back. Then they nailed him to the cross. They put the nails through his hands and through his feet, or literally right here through the wrists and right here just above the feet and the ankle bone, in the nerve centers of the body, most sensitive places. And he hung there on the cross. He was crucified. They took a spear and they thrust it into his side, piercing through his side. The Bible says that the when, when the... Blood came out, it was separated. It was, it was blood and water separate coming out. Then they took him off the cross. They wrapped him in burial clothes and a hundred pounds of aloes and spices. Then they left him in a tomb for three days and three nights. There was no medical attention. And then somehow some people say, well, he didn't really die. But he just crawled up, got out of those grave clothes, He hadn't been dead. He was just asleep. He pushed the stone away and he walked out and started talking to people in town. I'm sorry, but that didn't happen. Jesus died. Jesus died. You see, it's important that Jesus died because the Bible is very clear. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Your sin couldn't be forgiven by Christ if Christ did not die. Christ needed to die for our sin. This this trial, it was a public event. The crucifixion was a public event. This burial was even done by two different men, prominent men in the community. In fact, after they buried Jesus, the Bible says that the tomb was sealed. And then the Roman government placed a guard in front of the tomb. So here's some reasons why we know that Jesus died. Well, we know the place, that the place of his burial was well known to those people. Now it's interesting, it's not well known to us today. And have you ever wondered why? They can take you to different places if you go visit Israel and they can say, this might have been where he was buried. We think maybe this was the place, but they're not sure. Why are they not sure? Because he's not there. You know, you can go visit tombs of famous religious leaders all around the world, and you can see where they're buried. There's no particular place. They say, this is absolutely the place. They don't know because he's not there. He's risen. 
The government knew where it was. A soldier knew where it was. He was guarding it. The royal seal was on the, seal was on the tomb. The place of his burial was well known. Also, notice, nobody nowadays can go back to that tomb. You can go visit where Abraham is considered to be buried. Jews still go today to visit in Hebron. The Buddhists still go and visit the place where Buddha was buried there in India. You, you can still go there today. Muslims still go to Medina and visit where they say the bones of Muhammad are buried. But Christianity... There's no enshrined tomb for Jesus because Jesus walked away from it. We don't know exactly where he was buried because it doesn't matter. Because he's not there. Because he rose from the grave. This is the foundational fact of our faith. All of this is in fulfillment of Scripture. If you're new this morning... I want you to know this is God's Word. God has given us His Bible. This is the only perfect thing that's on earth today, is God's Word. We have God's Word directly to us so that it can teach us and instruct us and help us. And did you know one of the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, that lived 700 years before Jesus, he prophesied, all kinds of things about the death of Jesus Christ. Did you know he even prophesied where Jesus would be buried? How did he know that? It's because God told him. If you turn back at Isaiah 53, you can read through all of 53 and see all kinds of different things about the crucifixion. But look specifically at verses 8 and 9. The Bible says he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked. Notice the next line. And with the rich in his death. How did Isaiah know that he would be buried with the rich? Well, because it's true. Because God told him says, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. This is an Old Testament prophet writing 700 years before Jesus. And he said, this one that will come, his words will have no deceit. His words will be absolutely right. And his actions will be completely pure. says, he would have done no violence. I would tell you there's not a single person in this world today. More specifically, there's not a single person in this room that could stand up and say, I have never done any violence and I have never used deceit with my mouth. Can't say it. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, God's Word was not written so we could feel good about ourselves. God's Word was written so we could understand what's wrong with us and give us the answers so that we might have hope and might have salvation through Jesus Christ. Often people want to take God's Word and they say, well, I like parts of it. 
I like the parts that make me feel good, but I don't like the parts that talk about deceit and violence and wickedness and my sin. But those parts are true, just like the other parts are true. See, Jesus died. But the second thing I want you to see this morning is that Jesus rose. Look at John chapter 20. We see in those last few verses of John 19, Jesus, after He died, they buried Him. They wrapped Him in grave clothes. He was there for three days and for three nights. We know absolutely without a shadow of a doubt, He was dead. So what next? Can you imagine what it must have been like for the followers of Jesus, for Jesus' own mother, for Mary, for this other woman that's mentioned here at the beginning of John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene? Imagine what it was like for them when they had seen Jesus crucified on the cross and now nothing. He's buried Imagine what it was like for those disciples, those men who had followed Him for those years of ministry that He had. They had seen Him do His miracles. They had seen Him bring Lazarus back from the grave. And now Jesus is dead and nothing. The Bible says that those disciples, they went up to this upper room. They closed themselves in. They were hiding out because they were afraid that the religious leaders were going to come and arrest them just like they had arrested Jesus. That's a very natural response. That's probably what you and I would do if we were part of a group of people doing something and, and our leader got arrested and killed. We might say, oh, we better protect ourselves now. So you think about that period of time. I can't imagine what it was like for those people. But the Bible says on the first day of the week, this would have been Sunday morning, just like today. The first day of the week... Cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. So, it's been three days and three nights. Jesus has been, He's dead, He's gone. They, they don't see Him anymore. They've been going through Passover. And for the Jewish people, this was a, a Sabbath time, a high time, a holy time. They couldn't go visit a grave during Passover. So here it is, it's just finished. The Sabbath is over, and now it's the first day of the week. And you know what it's like when somebody close to you has passed away? What do you do? Maybe you're collecting your thoughts, you're grieving. Maybe you don't want to see a lot of people. And then maybe you go back after a day or two and you go visit the place where that person was buried. You just want to spend some time there. Spend some time alone in your thoughts to contemplate your relationship that you had with them and think about the wonderful memories. And this is, I think, what Mary Magdalene came to do that morning. She, she came down just to visit the tomb of Jesus. And when she got there, as it says at the end of the verse, she saw that the stone was taken away from the sepulcher. They had rolled the stone away. What had happened? Can you imagine what her thoughts must have been? She was afraid, she was scared, she was upset. She was probably just a whole mix of emotions going on inside of her. So what does she do? Verse 2, she does what probably you and I would do. Then she runneth. She runs away. She comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, that's 
John. He's often referred to in the book of John as the disciple that Jesus loved. And saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. She assumes either it's the religious leaders or perhaps the government, Roman government officials had taken the body of Jesus. She's beside herself. So then Peter and the other disciples says they went forth and they came to the sepulcher. Verse 4. So they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter. Well, that's because John was younger than Peter. Okay. But John runs up and he, he comes to the sepulcher there, it says in verse 5. And he's stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying. Yet went he not in. So John, he comes running up to the entrance and, and he stops and he kind of peeks in. Peter, though, we know Peter, he just runs on ahead. And the Bible says he just came running and he passed John and he ran right into the sepulcher. And they look around. Now, think about it. If you had stolen a dead body, would you take a body that had been dead for three days and unwrap it? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do it for a lot of reasons. But what did they see laying there? The grave clothes of Jesus. So the stone is rolled away. The grave clothes are lying there. Look at verse number 7. It says, and the napkin. So this was the piece of the grave clothes that were around his head. It says, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped up together in a place by itself. Wow. Wow. This definitely wasn't grave robbers. This was not somebody that was in a hurry. This was somebody who took the time to take the piece of cloth that was around their head and to fold it up separately and lay it off to the side. You say, did that really happen? Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it did. Happened just like it said. Happened just like the Bible says it did. So then the Bible says... In verse 8, then went in also that other disciple, this is John, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. See, I would tell you there's two kinds of people here this morning. There's people that are here that will say, yeah, I saw what they were talking about. I heard it. I was there at church on Easter Sunday. And then there are other people here this morning, like John, who believe. I would ask you, which person are you? Are you the person that just sees? Or are you the person that believes? See, to believe in Jesus Christ is not just to agree that He existed. That's just seeing. I can agree that, yeah, there's a church over there, but I'm not in that church till I come and become a part of it. I can agree that there's people here this morning. I can see you. I can look at you. But that doesn't mean I have a relationship with you. That doesn't mean we've come together and formed any kind of partnership or bond. See, with John and Peter, they ran up to the sepulcher. Peter runs in and John... He then comes in and he sees what's going on. His brain is processing. 
You know how your brain works like that when stuff's happening really quickly and, and it's too fast for you to kind of put it all together. What's going on? What's happening? I mean, just a few days before they had seen their Lord and Savior crucified on the cross, they had been through all that. They had spent this, these three days and three nights without Jesus. And now they come down to the tomb after Mary Magdalene says, come and see. They run in there and John's looking around. Okay, the stone's rolled away. Okay, the, the tomb's empty. Oh, the grave closed over there. And the napkin, it's folded off by itself. Can you imagine the light coming on for John? I can imagine he's, he's probably going from being upset, and grieving. Maybe his eyes are red with, from crying a whole bunch the last few days. We don't know what's going on all in his mind and all in his body. But I'm just imagining based on what normal people would do. And he's looking around and all of a sudden the light comes on. And he believes Jesus is alive. He's not here because he's risen. Just as he said he would. See, Jesus had been telling his disciples, they'll kill me, I'll be destroyed. Three days later, I'll come again. Ah, no, they're trying to process, they're trying to make excuses for it, they're trying to look for any other explanation. But now John sees it, and he believes. Verse number 9, for as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So we've seen Jesus died. Now we're going to look at this passage carefully and see that Jesus rose again. First of all, I want you to know Jesus rose on a Sunday. That's why we're here today. And we weren't here yesterday. It's very simple. Jesus rose again, and then the verse tells us here in verse 1 of chapter 20, the first person to come and pay respects to Jesus, there was a woman. Now understand in the culture of this day, women were often not given near the same respect as a man. I realize that struggle goes on in different times in different ways. But if people were writing this trying to prove something that didn't really happen, they wouldn't have used a woman as the first person to see. They would have used a man because they would have believed the word of a man over the word of a woman. But Jesus loves women. Jesus loves men. Jesus loves everybody. So a woman comes. She comes grieving, but she sees the stone is rolled away. Then we see this disciple, John, this disciple that Jesus loved. He then believed. There's several significant things here. You're already seeing them up on the screen. This first person at the tomb was a woman. The men who were the first witnesses, the first eyewitnesses, these were good men, men of high integrity. These were devoutly religious men. A third way that we know that the resurrection really happened is that the stone was rolled away. See, this was a stone, a very heavy stone, and it had been put in place by the government, and they had put their seal on it. To break that seal was a crime. It was illegal. And, and to make sure that nobody broke the seal, they put soldiers on guard in front of the tomb. A Roman soldier was not somebody to be trifled with. The stone was removed. This would have been a, a crime to break that. Th then we see that the grave clothes were not stolen. These are all significant things that point towards the fact that Jesus really did 
rise again. This is the most significant event, the greatest event that ever took place in the history of the world. Now, I know if you're like me, as you think about things and as you study, maybe you like to ask questions from another perspective. You say, well, I don't know. There's some other good theories out there. Let's look at some of those. Well, I've made a list of every single theory I could find, alternate theories that go against what the Bible says. Let's just take a brief moment, look through those quickly. One theory that's very popular in some books is called the swoon theory. It's that Jesus just passed out, and then he woke up later. Okay, go back with me, though, back to the first point, Jesus died. He was beaten. He had the crown of thorns placed on his head. He was hung on a cross with nails through his hands and his feet. He had a a spear placed through his side. They then brought him down, wrapped him from head to toe, including covering his face with grave clothes, wrapped him in a hundred pounds of spices and aloes, and then laid him in a tomb for three days and three nights with no medical attention. And he was just asleep, woke up, took off the grave clothes himself, and then walked out. I'm sorry, but if you believe that, your faith is a whole lot bigger than mine in what the Bible says. So there's the swoon theory. There's another theory that some people will take. They'll say, well, Jesus had a stunt double. That's a pretty modern theory. Thank you, Hollywood, right? That maybe Jesus switched places with somebody before he died on the cross. So it was somebody else that died, and then Jesus, three days later, comes out and says, look, here I am. There's several problems with that theory. One is, who was at the cross with Jesus when he was crucified? His own mother. You can fool a lot of people, but it's hard to fool your mom. (laughs) At least to fool one mom here this morning. The Bible also says that John, this beloved disciple, is right there at the foot of the cross. They they were right there. They saw him crucified. Oh, and by the way, after he rose again, the Bible says that he appeared to his disciples and they saw the wounds in his hands and in his feet. He showed them where the spear had gone through his side. There was no stunt double. Jesus had all the scars. They saw it. His own mother was there at the crucifixion. That theory doesn't hold water. Another theory that some will say is, well, somebody stole the body. Well, that, <laughs> that's in fact the theory that the Roman government put forth and the religious leaders after they found that the tomb was empty. They, they, the religious leaders brought together some guys and they paid them some money and they said, go spread the word that somebody stole his body. Hmm. Could they have stolen his body? Well, I go back to what I already said. If you're stealing a dead body, you're probably not stopping to unwrap it first. Okay, but here's a much bigger point. So how did that stolen body come back to life? I mean, there's a guy, he's alive and it's Jesus and he's walking around and people saw him and they talked to him and they touched him and they ate with him. They spent time with him. Even if they had stolen his body, he still came back to life. They didn't steal his body. 
Some people say, well, there's no evidence for the resurrection outside of the Bible. Hmm. They say, well, you can't trust the Bible. The reality is this, whether or not there's any evidence outside of the Bible actually really doesn't matter because the Bible has proven itself to be true over and over and over again. In fact, there have been time and time again where archaeologists have said, that couldn't have happened. We have found no record of that when we've been digging around in the ground. And then several years later, they've had to eat their words. Well, we found it. We found Jericho. We, we said it didn't exist. We thought the Bible was wrong. Well, we found it. Over and over that's happened again and again and again. But let's say you still say, you know, that could be true. Well, let me give you some very substantial, circumstantial evidence that points towards the truth that Jesus really is alive. First of all, we had a bunch of disciples who were a bunch of scared, fearful human beings hiding out in an upper room. And then all of a sudden they become fearless and they're going around the world preaching the gospel and they're not afraid to die and they're afraid to do whatever God calls them to do. How do you take a bunch of guys and change them? Maybe they saw Jesus risen from the dead. In fact, I know they did. Well, you say, well, that's a good point. How about this? The believers all of a sudden stopped worshiping on Saturday. That's what they'd always been doing, and now they changed to Sunday. Why would they change to Sunday all of a sudden? Because that's the day that they saw Jesus alive, risen from the dead. Did you know, in many places, there, and I talked to some folks actually just this past week in our neighborhood, some folks, many people still follow the Jewish religion. You probably know some people like that. Maybe you're like that this morning. And, and they're very serious about following their religious things, their teachings, their traditions. What would cause a bunch of Jewish religious people to stop doing their Jewish traditions and begin to start worshiping on Sunday instead? I would tell the only thing is that they saw their risen Lord and Savior. Well, here's another one. The calendar was changed. You ever heard of B.C.? That's before Christ. An Anna Domini. Right? We have before Christ and after Christ, after He's written. What would it take to change the calendar? Maybe the resurrection of somebody from the dead that people knew about, people were talking about. It changed everything. Here's some other things. We, we started celebrating communion, baptizing people. Churches were started all around the world. What was the impetus for this? It wasn't like some religions where they came in with swords and said, if you don't believe we're killing you, no, it was because the disciples went out. The Bible says they turned the world upside down. Why? Because they were excited. Something had happened. They had seen Jesus. He had been alive. Then He died. Then He rose again the third day. Folks, we may be removed a couple thousand years from all of this, but the history is still true today, just like it was back then. And I think sometimes we need to get a re energizing, a, a new excitement, a focus, and a remembrance on what really happened that day. 
Because there's a lot of people today going about their life as if it doesn't matter whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. But maybe it doesn't matter to them because they've never stopped long enough to think. Did it really happen? I would ask you, if, you, if we were having, if this was a courtroom this morning and you were all on the jury, I would ask you to examine the evidence. Is Jesus alive? His resurrection changed everything. Well, for those that say, well, but you still haven't given us any historical evidence outside the Bible. Did you know there is? In fact, I pulled out the book this week and read from it. There was a historian, Jewish historian, by the name of Josephus. And he lived very early in the first century, on into kind of spanning over the first into the second century. So he was born just after the time of Christ, and he was hired by the leadership, the government of that day, to write a history of the Jews. And I have his book. It's about this thick. I'm thankful for indexes. Somebody took the time. So I didn't read the whole book this week. You would have really been impressed with me if I had. But I was able to look it up in the back in the index and find the passage from Josephus, this story. Now, this is translated into English. I'm not going to read it to you in Hebrew this morning because I doubt most of you would understand that. So let me read to you the English translation of what Josephus wrote after the time of Christ. This is a historian. He said, There was Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. I'm not reading to you from the Bible right now. This is just a human historian not writing with God's inspiration, just writing what he had heard and seen to be true. It says, And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold, these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. You know what? They're not extinct at this day either. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Jesus rose from the dead. I could go on and on. I read all kinds of stuff over the last couple of weeks. All kinds of scholars who have gone back and researched all kinds of different things. Some people would say, well, the pagans had invented this idea of a resurrection story and the Christians just stole it from them. There was this scholar that went back and read every bit of literature from back in that time period. He said, there's no evidence that any pagans ever believed in the resurrection. Because you see, the pagans weren't interested in a bodily resurrection. Because the pagan mind believed you had the spiritual side, that was your good side, and your physical side, that was your bad side. And you were trying to figure out how to get free of your bad side so that you could just live with the spiritual side. That's what those guys, Socrates was teaching, and Plato later on, and all of their thinking. See, this was not a pagan idea. This was something new. 
because it was something from God. Jesus is alive. So I would ask you then as we close this morning, so what now? Why does it matter if, if this is really the most important person, if this really is the most important event in history? Why does it matter? Well, it matters because as the book of Ecclesiastes teaches us, as we've been looking at on Wednesday nights, there's an event that is going to take place for all of us. It happens to the righteous and to the unrighteous. It happens to the one who curses and to the one who always says good words. It happens to the one who does good works and the criminal. That event is called death. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. It matters for you. It matters for me. It matters for everybody today because we all are facing death. Now, it's easy to try to live and say, well, I'm not going to worry about that right now. That's later. It could happen at any time. Folks, I'm not trying to be rude or mean or insensitive in any way, but this is important. We have to face the reality of life that we deal with. And the reality of this life is it will end. And whether or not you're ready for that moment all comes back to your view of the resurrection. Say, why, why is that so important? The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as He is pure. So I want to ask you the question then, do you have this hope? Are you trusting in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sin to Him and asked Him to forgive you? We're all in the same boat this morning without Christ. But with Christ, we have this hope. That someday when He comes, we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is. Or I love what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. Maybe you're young in here. Maybe you're old. But the longer you live, the more you realize how vile this body is. Some of you, it was tough to get out of bed this morning. I miss the days when, like my kids now, they just come, they're out of bed. I hear somebody up, stirring around, they're going, and I'm thinking, it's work for me to get up and do that. I have to push, I got to go. And kids are like, yeah, we're just having a good time. Up, reading books. Some of you, you're just staring at your coffee, you know, and just wait. Our bodies are weak and they're getting weaker. 
I don't know about you, but I need some hope. It's a hope for our physical body, but it's also hope for our spiritual soul as well. He says, Who shall change our vile body that may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able. We serve a God who is able. He has the ability to do this because He's not dead. He's alive. He's able even to subdue all things unto Himself. I would ask you this morning, would you believe in the God who is able? Say, well, I want him to be able to do whatever I want him to do. Then he's not God. If he's God, he gets to say what happens and what doesn't happen. But you can believe that he's able to give you eternal life, to forgive you of your sin. The Bible teaches it throughout. The proof of the resurrection is clear. Folks, if you disagree with the resurrection, you're ignoring your facts right in front of you. Say, well, I don't like the Bible. Don't agree with that. Then what do you do with all these disciples and their changed life? What do you do with this whole, this whole movement that started and turned the world upside down? What do you do with that? What do you do with the fact that when people come and share the truth and people hear the truth, that their lives get changed? How do you deal with the fact that people that are headed opposite directions, marriages that are falling apart, kids that are running away from, from doing anything that's right, people that are into drugs and alcohol and all kinds of difficult, awful things that just grab onto you and hold on really tight, how do you deal with the fact that when they come to Jesus Christ, their life is changed. You can't argue with a changed life. So I don't like this piece of that piece. Folks, I understand. There are things I don't like about myself either sometimes. There are things I read and I say, oh, I wish I... It's not about me, it's about Him. Will you believe? As we close the service this morning, this part of the service, we've got a few more things to do this morning. But as we close this part of the service, I'm going to pray... And I would ask you, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've never truly believed in Him, I'm not just talking about knowing that He exists, I'm talking about trusting in Him to let Him change you from the inside out, asking Him to forgive you of your sin and saying, Lord, I'm giving my life to you. If you'd like to do that this morning, I'd ask you to pray as well. Call out to the Lord. Say, God, forgive me of my sin. I'm so thankful that Jesus is alive, that He's forgiven me of my sin, and I pray that you'd forgive me and that I could have eternal life with Jesus Christ. You could ask Jesus to do that this morning. The form formality of praying through a prayer is not what saves you. It's the belief in your heart. But if you truly believe in Him, would you ask Him this morning? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you sent Jesus Christ. Thank you that his resurrection is real. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you are here this morning and you'd like to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior,
take this moment right now in the quietness of your seat, or if you'd like to come talk to me, or I can get you somebody else, you can come do that. Everybody's going to keep their heads bowed and eyes closed for just a minute. Let's do that. Just give everybody privacy there in their seat. We'll close our eyes so that folks may talk to the Lord if God's speaking to them this morning. If God's spoken to you and you say, Pastor, well, I need to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, why don't you do that right now? Trust Him. Trust Him today. As the piano keeps playing this morning, I just want to ask a question so I can pray for you again. Heads bowed, eyes closed, let folks have some privacy. But if you prayed to trust Christ this morning as your Savior, I'd like to know so that I can come and visit with you and encourage you anyway later and pray for you now. Would you lift your hand? I'd love to pray for you now. Anybody at all? Say, Pastor Will, this morning I trusted Jesus Christ. I believed in Him as my personal Savior Never trusted Christ before. Anybody? Amen. Father, I pray that you'd help us to live in light of the resurrection. That it ought to change us so that we would believe in you ourselves, but then go from here wanting to share the good news that Jesus is alive with everybody around us. Help us to be faithful to share the good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for your wonderful attention this morning. And if you're still saying, I have some questions. I'm thinking about things. I know we covered a lot of ground this morning. I'd love to visit with you afterwards or get somebody else who can talk with you. Folks, this is the most important thing. It's the most important thing in the world.